Hello and welcome to FTI Cybersecurity Podcast Series, The Expert Briefing. My name is Dave Harvey and I lead FTI Consulting's UK cybersecurity practice based in London. Throughout this podcast series, experts will discuss the latest issues and trends impacting the world of cybersecurity. And today we'll be discussing cybersecurity due diligence in the M&A process. For this episode, I'm joined by external guests from DWF, Jay Birch and Shervin Mahid, and my colleague, David Dunn. So I'll let the guests introduce themselves. Hello, everybody. I'm Jay Birch. I'm a partner in the M&A group in DWF in London. Um, I've got near on 30 years continuous experience as a transactions lawyer. I mostly work on complex cross-border transactions in a range of industries. Uh, mainly, I act for buyers, but I do also act for sellers on occasion. Um, in recent years, my caseload has been centred on new era financials, fintech, insurance, cyber. Uh, I work across a broad range of industries, but um, certainly in the last five years, cyber-related work has been central to a lot of my M&A practice. Hi all, uh, my name is Shervin Nahid. Delighted to join you today. I'm a data protection and cybersecurity lawyer at DWF, also based in London with Jay. Uh, my practice typically involves advising organisations on a broad range of data protection and cybersecurity issues, um, including large transformation projects. I've been lucky to have unique insight by being seconded to seven household name clients across multiple industries. So that really helps um, provide a different perspective on assessing data protection risks that exist. I also am able to apply Big Four experience by having worked as a dual role as a lawyer and consultant to help clients achieve their business objectives and and using innovative and technical solutions rather than just focusing on paper-based compliance tick boxing. Uh, For DWF, I I lead on the deals side of of data protection and have vast experience working with Jay and his colleagues in the corporate M&A team. Hi, my name's uh, David Dunn. I'm a managing director here at FTI and one of Dave Harvey's colleagues. Um, I'm based in the FTI Philadelphia office in the United States, and I've got over 18 years of experience advising multinational corporations on cyber risk and on transactions in markets all over the world. I specifically focus as an expert on items like data privacy, cyber resilience, prevention, response, remediation, and recovery. At FTI, I specifically lead our America's practice on both private equity advisory in the cyberspace, but also on the transaction side. And I also, in addition to that, lead a lot of our large incident response matters, investigation matters, things like ransomware, data breaches, nation state intrusions, some of which I think we'll talk about during our conversation today. Um, And lastly, in addition to all that, I also have served on a number of occasions as an interim chief information security officer for a number of our clients and uh, advise their boards as well as the boards of private equity firms. So good to be with you today. Thanks, David. And uh, thanks to all my guests for joining us today. We really have a wealth of experience in this particular episode, so I'm looking forward to a great discussion. So let's let's kick off the conversation with our first topic. Now, it could be argued the world's exponentially changed over the last year or two, and organisations are facing a very changed threat landscape. I'd like to delve into how you believe this is impacting firms, both pre- and post-deal, and what are the key trends that you're seeing right now? And Jay, if I could come to you first, please. Yes, thank you. Well, I think if you look at what's happened in the last couple of years with lockdown, 
uh, it has accelerated or accentuated certain issues, but actually they are pretty much prevalent throughout most transactions we see. Now we act probably about three quarters of the time for buyers and probably about a quarter of the time for sellers. Our buyers who are astute and serial doers of transactions like to think of themselves as more sophisticated and knowledgeable. Uh, people who are sellers, particularly first-time sellers, often are somewhat naive. Um, one of the first things that we often encounter with cyber due diligence is people say, it's all all right, I've got insurance. But actually, when you delve, you find that the insurance has a lot of exclusions, lots of carve-outs, and isn't necessarily fit for purpose. And equally, we act for people who provide cyber insurance, and a lot of them will freely admit that they don't actually know at the moment whether their pricing policies appropriately. Uh, they literally haven't been doing it long enough uh, to have enough pricing experience. And I've got a, a live transaction at the moment in the cyber insurance sector, and that whole question of pricing and risk capital allocation is really central in the diligence. Broadly, I would say that most companies are underinvested and underprepared. Um, a lot of the boards of companies are still of a generation where these things are regarded as novel or, you know, for the tech and IT teams. Although there is a general awareness of the need to be on top of things in terms of uh, dedication of capital resource and knowledge, Frankly, they're probably not fully up to speed, uh, what I would call underinvested. Also, when you're looking at professional advisors, and I'm talking particularly about accountants and lawyers here, they have not necessarily caught up with things. Uh, they're not sufficiently knowledgeable. They're not sufficiently astute. And they'll often focus on things like environmental liability and employment liability to a degree that's not necessarily proportionate to the, the risk. Although everyone's very aware of data breaches and hacking and uh, system abuse, actually just day-to-day -day functionality is still important. And a lot of businesses have operational problems with crashes and lack of server capacity or proper licenses. And those day-to-day you know, -day issues can sometimes get overlooked when people are obsessing about security and breach. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to, uh, to just touch on is the prevalence of ransom attacks and ransomware. Um, so people obviously think about hacking and surveillance and data breach, but um, I think we've all seen um, quite an increase in ransomware attacks and essentially your systems are disabled or at threat of disabling unless you pay a ransom often in a cryptocurrency. That creates an immediate crisis and dilemma. And one of the things that we've been advising clients about is to be careful to make sure that they don't just pay a ransom in panic. And generally, if they are going to pay a ransom, they should inform uh, authorities and regulators. And indeed, the US Treasury Department has issued guidance on this recently. But in simple terms, the payment of a ransom, even for perfectly legitimate reasons, can itself be the commission of a criminal offence. And it's what is generally classed as a strict liability offence. So if a business finds itself facing a ransom demand and it has business that touches the US in some way or US subsidiaries, chances are it falls under that jurisdiction and therefore needs to take urgent advice on whether A to pay and B whom to notify. And the same analogy applies for businesses which are regulated, so the Financial Conduct Authority in London, Barfin in Germany, and businesses which have got some sort of stock market listing, they probably have to think about multiple notifications as well as uh, thinking practically how and whether to pay a ransom. Um, I think probably I've said enough. Shervin, would you like to comment? 
Yes, thanks, Jay. Picking up on, on some of those themes, I think the key message that certainly from a data protection perspective, especially, is that in its current form, it's simply not fit for purpose. Traditional due diligence is is seen as an a presence and absence of artifacts. And, you know, it's it's a it's a tick box compliance, which we saw from prior to the regime change of, of, of the GDPR and the subsequent uh, incorporation of that into the UK regime post-Brexit. It was a it was a subject matter. Data protection was a subject matter seen as as a usual compliance activity tied to AML, ABC. But you know, the, f- following the incorporation of, of the GDPR, uh, there was certainly a shift in attitudes and 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 principles like the accountability principle go further than than compliance tick boxing and, and look to um, thinking about modern requirements um, and looking at you know operationalizing what that tick box was was meeting and to to go into that you're thinking about the presence of an information security policy saying one thing and and testing beyond that to understand actually what is the operational compliance with that policy you know what is the underlying process is it is it a piece of paper that sits in in a filing cabinet that was drafted by a lawyer to meet the requirement for for the deal or or actually are there teams that are picking it up and, and and using it in the right way so it's it's clear that that it's not fit for purpose. Data, data protection documentation only will only get you so far from a you know sort of paper shield perspective. Cyber due diligence is a bit more advanced, given you know it stems out of security and 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 it's existed prior. And there were controls frameworks that are very well established. So organisations tend to be a bit bit further ahead of the curve in that respect. Pen testing and um, standards ex- exist, but. Even then, you know, we need to make sure that they're fit for purpose and and, and uh, match the current regime, which talks about consideration of the state of the art and things like that. So, that, that, you know, that's the key thing to point out that I think a, re- a rethink is required in terms of what is the right way to approach data protection and cyber due diligence. But understanding proportionality is obviously essential as well. So clients don't want to be spending vast amounts on, on data protection, cybersecurity due diligence, it's it's one strand of, you know, far larger exercise. So it's understanding, you know, that proportionality in the sense of what are the buyer's outcomes? What are they trying to achieve? And that all stems back to what are the risks that they're inheriting by acquiring a business? You know, what is the significance of, of data in that business? And that talks about special characteristics, which I'll come on to later on. But it's understanding those key factors that that, that move towards, you know, the operational reality beyond just, just looking at paper. Um, just to make a final point in relation to what Jay was saying around insurance policies, we don't tend to see insurance policies that are covering regulatory enforcement under the GDPR. So that's, you know, that's that's a starting point that insurance simply won't protect you all around because if, you know, if, if, if a regulator like the Information Commissioner's Office issues a monetary penalty notice, currently we're not seeing that covered by insurance policy. So the scope of that policy will be key to examine further. Yeah, just to pick up on that insurance point, if I may, Shervin, insurers are moving into the sphere of saying that if your policies are better, we'll, we'll either insure you or give you a better premium. But the uh, the measurement, the betterment of uh, policies in practice is, is quite ragged. And again, a lot of companies are probably still complacent. So they've probably got a policy. They've probably done some training, but it's not kept fresh. The training is maybe not... Uh, not implemented or refreshed thoroughly and um, you know testing um, perhaps isn't kept up with and one of the interesting questions is if you ask people how they dealt with their last breach they'll often tell you oh we don't have that problem 
you know, we've got systems, we've got protection, but I think the realistic truth is that the breaches will occur and it's about how people can uh, detect them, mitigate them or contain them. But if you just look at insurance, insurance is, uh, is essentially saying, if you do better, we will insure you. But actually, I think in reality, it's not matching up. Thanks, Jay. And, and Shervin, I mean, there was so much in there. So David, you know, based on that, what's your sort of advice in terms of uh, that sort of cyber and, and ITG diligence? You know, Dave, before I get to the answer there, maybe we take a little bit of a step back, right? I think you started off this part of the podcast talking about what's changed, right? The world has changed. And I think Jay made some comments about, you know, work from home and so on and so forth. So I think, you know, to put it all in context and then sort of map that to how things in the diligence process should change or have changed, I think we've got to give that background, right? So The pandemic has changed the game. We know about remote work, but threat actors have really jumped in and have tried to exploit this environment. You know, on top of that, you've got, as Jay mentioned, right, a a real proliferation of ransomware. But it's not just that ransomware is more frequent. It's that it's way more sophisticated. They're now pushing through multiple forms of extortion, right? So now your data isn't just at risk from being sort of locked up. It's now at risk from being stolen or exfiltrated. And that's a really big change. And it's put significant pressure on paying ransoms. But it also, you know, has put pressure on the reputations of the firms that have had ransomware incidents where data, you know, data has been exfiltrated. And those are things that I'll get to in a moment that really need to be taken a look at. You know, we've also seen a new paradigm over the last 12 months or so with supply chain attacks. Right? And that's something that at FTI, we believe is going to continue to increase. Um, so now it's not just about protecting your data. You now have to think about third parties, right? Where am I going to have a weakness from a supply chain vendor, if you will? Um, and they're going to continue. And then the last thing I'll mention on this point, right, to provide some background on this new paradigm as it relates to thinking through the asset that you're going to buy is that. Because of of the remote working, we've seen a massive increase in digital transformation, right? We've seen a massive increase, not only in digital transformation, but a move to the cloud. And a lot of people, I think, make, especially small and mid-sized organizations, make a mistake in thinking about the cloud when they're moving there. They think that that somehow brings additional security for them, right? Whoever you pick the, the cloud provider, they've got great controls in place. There are these enormous organizations. And the answer there is somewhat true. Yes, they do. But you're really just putting your data on somebody else's computers. When you're looking at buying a company, Um, You really have to think about all these different areas, right? The regulatory environment, as as Shervin was mentioning, um, and as Jay mentioned a bit as well, has also gotten harder, right? So you need to think through these things. And it's not just data breach, right? It's, It's fraud, right? Are you susceptible to fraud and so on and so forth? So at the end of the day, you know, what are we seeing from, from, from trends and deals? I think this is the, the, the important takeaway here for the audience, which is we've seen a very big shift, particularly in the private equity community when they're buying companies, but also more broadly in, in the public sphere, right? When company A is buying company B, 
where there is an increased focus on doing cybersecurity diligence. If you rewind a number of years ago, it was really just a check the boxes type scenario and maybe not even check the boxes. When we're working on transactions, we see more you know, critical focus from the reps and warranties process um, that's important to think about. And you really have to have your ducks in a row. So I think what folks need to think about when it comes to, to M&A, and I think Shervin was mentioning a little bit of this as well, is you got to be as robust as possible when you're thinking about doing diligence, um, particularly the cyber and, and data privacy diligence. If things, you know, flash red lights, right, or, or are red flags, you got to think about making a change early on because you, you may have a big impact to the valuation later on after you purchase it. So I think uh, overall, you're seeing a, an increased focus on diligence. We're still not at the point where people are doing enough, right? It's getting more robust, but budgets aren't always there. And as, as Shervin, I think, was alluding to, a lot of the focus of diligence on the cyber side from buyers is really, you know, thinking about policies, procedures, right, controls. We're still not in, in a place where the access is there to really lift up the hood on technical vulnerabilities, right? Use tools. And I know Dave and I, Dave Harvey and I have spoken about this at length. And, you know, at FTI, we're thinking about a number of ways to do this. But it's about getting in there and saying, hey, am I buying something that uh, may already be compromised, right? It's not just the overall risk. And what technical vulnerabilities exist within the architecture, right? The systems and so on and so forth that may have the back door or the side door open. So I think, you know, th that pretty much sums up the changes here. I wanted to make sure we gave the background, but, but really the trends that we're seeing. Thanks, David. So it's, it's very much a due diligence process that's very different to anything that we've really seen before. So focusing then on the winding threat landscape, what advice would you give business leaders right now in terms of being able to mitigate that risk? And Jeff, come to you again first. Uh, yes, thank you. Well, um, speaking particularly as a lawyer, I think lawyers are guilty still of being very formulaic in their approach on this. Um, there's a kind of a ritual dance with a warranty and a disclosure and debates about theoreticals. And sometimes clients are kind of bamboozled by it, or sometimes they're kind of uh, acquiescent in the process. Um, but this, this goes back to the, the points you've made about underinvestment, uh, naivety, formulaic approach. With a lot of these issues, it comes down to practical experience and, and practical testing. So um, once you get to the position of arguing over a warranty and the ambits of disclosures of, of uh, practical problems or potential problems, really at that point, I would say you should take pause and you should do the technical due diligence if you haven't already done so, or you should address it. And then, you know, you're really looking broadly at three and three outcomes. Either you, you as a buyer or lender or investor, uh, satisfy yourself that it's known and it's containable um, and you can deal with it and it's priced into the deal. Or you have essentially to reprice the transaction in some way. So you get effectively uh, an upfront price reduction or an indemnity where the price reduction is, is effectively contingent on outcomes. But you have to have a, uh, a work plan a project. And of course, you have to have the management of the target engaged because they've got to work work with you on it, you need to know that you've got the required technical competencies and resources. And, you know, frankly, these things are generally not quick fixes. In some cases, it might be possible to do the remediation 
in the course of negotiation of a transaction. So identify it, implement it and cure it before closing. But frankly, that's that's probably not the typical case. Most of these things, the analysis can be done, remediation work can be identified, but you come to the point when the deal negotiation has run its course and you basically got to close or walk away. Um, so I've seen processes go wrong where people just don't grip it. They're not realistic about the consequences. Uh, they try and hide behind you know, the, the formulaic exchange of warranty uh, disclosures. They maybe also put a vain hope that warranty and indemnity insurance will fix it. Uh, it. It just won't and it can't. If you've got a practical operating risk or problem, even if you think you've got an insurance claim, an insurance claim will take a very long time to prosecute if successful at all. And it simply won't help you after the event when you, you're facing you know, immediate day-to-day -day operational issues. Uh, the other thing really that flows from that, and again, from a point of view of legal consequences, is that the discovery of a problem, whether or not a transaction proceeds, can lead to another level of dilemma. So if I'm, um, if I'm a target company trying to sell and a buyer finds problems with me in due diligence and those problems are severe, the transaction may or may not proceed, but the chances are that they've triggered notification obligations. So could be notification obligations to customers, clients, could be to regulators, stakeholders. If, um, if my business as a seller is, is um, a financial business, banking, insurance, fund management, I've got regulators there. If I'm a stock market listed entity, I may have to consider whether I need to do a problem bad news announcement and the failure to make the announcement can later be deemed to be culpable. So apart from the risk of a failed transaction, the potential investee company can then face itself with a mess of disclosure compliance. Now, what we've seen, frankly, in some cases is the problem has been identified. Um, it's been kicked into the long grass, maybe been dropped as a debating point. Maybe the transaction hasn't happened, but the problem's not gone away. And um, acquiescence, complacency bites harder later on when something else happens some investigation, some whistleblowing, some um, evidence of uh, customer complaint, any combination of events. But at the point then of reacting with the new crisis or reacting to the new crisis, if it then becomes apparent that you're on notice of this and you had effectively an objective third party pointing it out to you and you didn't deal with it as a target business, you're in really, really very deep trouble. Um, so I've got a live example in mind where we were acting for a buyer that started to worry about the general um, data protection, security and cyber environment of the target, declined to proceed, just really got nervous on the valuation and the grip of the management and also just the relationship with the customers. But having walked away from that transaction, um, which occurred just in the last few weeks, I think we've left the sell side with an unholy dilemma and I really wouldn't want to be in their position now with both a failed transaction and having to... Uh, agonize over what to tell people but frankly they should be informing people that they they have a problem and uh, they need to deal with it but whether they will well i'll never know but i would worry to be in their position thanks jay so there's there's a huge piece in there about preparation not leaving it to actually the, the diligence process but preparing for that beforehand shervin if we, if we could hand across to you what advice would you have yeah the the main the main one is is you know when i when i'm being asked to look at you know, look at a due diligence process. 
I think I've got a very limited time frame. You know, Jay's under pressure, so I'm under pressure to, to, to deliver, you know, the right outcome. And I think Jay made a very good point around you're not really going to be able to fix much during the transaction prior to closing. You know, a lot of it's going to go down to post, you know, post-completion remediation exercises. So the time you've got, it's it's about, you know, flagging as much to the surface as possible and you and identifying the risk, you know, getting the risk, the really important risks to the surface to help the buyer really understand, you know, what are the issues that are most likely, what are the biggest challenges that, are, that I'm going to face from external scrutiny that, that, that are going to, you know, most likely to be relevant to my business. So that, that's, you know, that's quite a challenging task to, to, to fulfill just in a, in, a, in a DD process in its current form. But what, you know, the way we, we've tackled it in our team is, is looking at the special characteristics of a business. And that is all about understanding the environmental features and operational aspects of that business that make it unique, be it their geographic location, what economic sectors they're in, what are their business plans and operation, purpose, value, culture, all that sort of thing that makes, even though it, you know, we've worked on a transaction for a different client in exactly the same industry, there's something else, even though these, you know, they might be shops door to door, that they're incredibly different and, and, and different objectives, different motives and all that. So it's getting to the bottom of what those special characteristics are as soon as possible. And that helps us provide a different lens on what the risks are and what it means to that business. So another another way we've we we, we look at the risks and, and the way to bring that, you know, bring it all to the surface is looking at resilience testing, risk and resilience testing, looking at uh, development and we've developed a tool in house which looks at the operational risk and resilience and confidence testing of sellers you know so when we talk about the target when we ask questions it's not do you have this do you have that it's what confidence do you have that should a adverse situation arise that you've got the ability to deal with that in an effective manner so that again starts going under the hood a little bit more of the business to say if they've got no confidence in it, if they don't think that actually operationally it works, and you can tease that out with sort of you know well-crafted questioning and interviews and things like that, to start seeing beyond the policy to understand in that short time, actually, you know, they've got a whole suite of documents around, you know, an incidents response playbook, but no one knows where it is, and the whole team has changed in the last six months. So in fact, no one, no one even uses it. I think that that that's a really, really important thing to look at. So Going back to your question, Dave, you know, I think it's I think the key the key message is all about, you know, understanding the special characteristics of the business, you know, looking at the risk from a different perspective of confidence testing being a really useful way to to get under the hood of businesses. Thanks, Sherman. And and David, if I could hand across to you, what advice would you have? Yeah, I mean, I think there's two sides to this, right? There's advice in the diligence process, and we touched on a lot of that already. And I think it's important to touch on some of that again. Um, and expand upon it. But there's also, you know, just advice from a cybersecurity approach overall. So let me let me take the first here. You got to pick the right firm, pick a firm that has a robust practice that has, you know, long term cybersecurity experts that are industry leaders that not only understand cybersecurity, but understand the deal process. I think that's really quite critical. Um, so pick the right firm, make sure you've got proper budget, right, to do good work. If you can, try to set expectations at the beginning that access is going to be really important. We talked about before the need to do technical work, 
right? If you can do that work, you're getting a more holistic view of what's actually going on at a target. So set that expectation up front. You're not always going to get it, but if you can get good access where actual technical assessment work can be done on top of all the policies and procedures and organizational design assessment and controls assessment, then you're in a better place. You know, those are the key things, right? You want to understand, you know, what am I, what am I actually buying from a, from a cybersecurity perspective? Um, we talked a little bit about, you know, what can you do in the process if red flags or other, uh, you know, critical items are identified that need remediation. I mean, we're seeing a lot more of this. Actually, it, over 20% of the transactions that we've worked on in 2021 have led to immediate remediation, oftentimes pre-close. And it's true, you know, what Shervin said here, you can't always get all that done. So you have to have a partner in the process to identify what is the most critical stuff that we can get done. And this is is one of the bigger pieces of advice here. Don't be afraid to say, I need this done now, right? And make all the critical missing controls or vulnerabilities that are identified in the diligence process. Don't be afraid to include those in the agreement and say, hey, we expect this to get done. It's really critical. A lot of times we see clients sort of holding off on that, not wanting to push the envelope, and there are problems. And and one of the reasons why I mentioned this is, let's remember, you're going through a transaction, there's going to be an announcement of this transaction at some point. And this varies, you know, a bit, whether you're talking about private companies, a private equity firm buying a private company, or, you know, public company transactions. But in all those scenarios, while the degree may vary, there's going to be eyeballs, right? The spotlight is going to be on the transaction when that transaction is announced. We have seen increased activity around those announcements. So as much as possibly can get done pre-close or within the first 90 days is really critical. And it's critical to push the envelope on that. So those are things I think in the diligence process that are important to think about from an advice standpoint. It's not just about the diligence process, obviously. What do you need to focus on as an organization, or what are the critical attributes you want to see in an organization that you might be acquiring, um, staff is critical, right? We so often, especially in the small and mid-sized part of the market, but even up in the, in the larger side, side of the market, we don't see appropriate staffing, huge understaffing. We all know that there is a big problem with cybersecurity talent up there, but you know, cyber is not an IT thing, right? It's a very different skill set. So make sure that your organization or an organization you're buying prioritizes the right type of cybersecurity leadership and the right type of, of cybersecurity technical staff to actually be able to get things implemented and grow. And if they don't have those things, certainly that's an expectation we'd like to see. So proper staffing is, is really big. And then let's get back to basics. At the end of the day, right? When we've talked a lot about ransomware, there are some simple things that can be done to make sure that you increase the maturity of your organization from a cybersecurity standpoint. Make sure you've got multi-factor authentication. It's a no-brainer, right? Baseline control at this point, it's got to be on everything that's critical from applications to systems, right? Make sure that remote access is locked down. That stuff's super important. Make sure that your backups and your backup program is absolutely bulletproof. So many times we see folks that say, oh, yeah, our backups are, you know, um, we, we, we take them every day and we do integrity testing and so on and so forth. 
great, but how could a threat actor actually access those, right? Do you have multi-factor authentication in front of them? Are they encrypted at rest? Do you have offline copies, right? If you don't have one of those things, you're missing one of the core controls, right? That are really just basic these days, right? Do vulnerability management. So many organizations that we do diligence on don't have any vulnerability management in place. What does that mean? That means looking at and, and identifying vulnerabilities in external IPs, the internal network and, and all the assets there. Looking at your website, identifying vulnerabilities there. One of the things that we are including as standard now in all of our diligence, no matter how big or small, is doing an external exposure assessment, right? Doing digital footprinting of the target. It's non-invasive work, but there are so many times where things like inventory control of assets is just not well-formed. And what does that mean? That means that there are assets out there, IT assets, that could be exposed publicly and, and thus exploitable. You want to know that stuff. There's no reason not to do that, that work. A year or two ago, we were rarely, if ever, seeing this work be done. We're making it standard now. We're starting to see some other players in the space do it. So I think all of that, I mean, we could continue to go on, but we don't have time. But all those things, I think, are key pieces of advice that business leaders should think about today. Thanks, David. So we've gone through the due diligence process today. We've talked about the complexity. We've talked about the need to surface risk um, to, to buyers and, and all the ways of doing that. We've talked about preparing for the transaction and we've talked about investing, investing in skill sets, investing in awareness. So I'd, I'd like to thank my guests for joining me today. Remember to subscribe to our podcast series so you don't miss out on future episodes. And if you'd like to find out more about what we do here at FTI Cybersecurity and how we help build a resilient future for clients, please do reach out to myself or any of today's guests via the FTI website. Mm-hmm.